0: We know the why human trafficking work is needed, to fight for the freedom of modern-day slaves. But love, passion, commitment isn't all you need to be an effective and successful anti-trafficking advocate. Learn the how. I'm Dr. Celia Williamson, Director of the Human Trafficking and Social Justice Institute at the University of Toledo. Welcome to the Emancipation Nation podcast, where I'll provide you with the latest and best methods, policy, and practice discussed by experienced experts in the field so that you can cut through the noise, save time, and be about the work of saving lives.
1: Over the past 18 years, the International Human Trafficking and Social Justice Conference has welcomed thousands of attendees from all 50 states and from 40 countries around the world. We are the largest and oldest academic conference on human trafficking in the nation. Our 18th annual conference will be hosted virtually this year on September 22nd through the 24th. You will have the opportunity to learn from and collaborate with thousands of advocates, researchers, experts, and survivors from all over the world. This will be our largest conference to date with over 100 breakout sessions featuring 180 expert presenters speaking about various topics related to human trafficking and social justice issues. Find out more information and register today on our website, TraffickingConference.com.
0: Hey, how's it going, Lisa? It's going good.
1: I noticed that I don't really introduce you all that
0: often, so, <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself?
2: Um, Let me see. Uh, well, I have my master's in social work. Um, I'm applying for jobs right now. So if you have one out there, you know, hook a sister up, you know. Um, uh, I've done research and a lot of evaluation in the past. Um, What else is there? Uh, I'm 5'3", about 115 pounds. I'm into long walks and (laughs) pina coladas and getting caught in the rain. Um, No, I'm just just kidding. Um, No, but I am. I am into social justice and very anti-oppression. And so don't come for me, you know, don't play, don't play with me. That's, mm-hmm. me.
0: That's you. I got you. I got you. So what are the three words that you would say best describes you?
2: Oh, um, smart, uh, funny, and uh, I guess I would say sensitive. Mm-hmm. Um, what about you? What are the three words that best describe you?
0: Hmm. Um, well, let me see. I don't think I can be captured in only three words, but I will try. <laughs> um, I think focused, hardworking, and optimistic. And I would describe our guest that's back again, Diane Mall, as strategic, uh, compassionate, and well, frankly, brilliant. So her voice is soft, but it's clear. And Make no mistake. Listen to the brilliance in what she does and how she does it. Listen to the power in what she does. And I don't mean power in terms of control. I mean power in terms of empowerment and liberation. So here's my interview with Diane Mull.
3: Well, we've worked in 20, 23 or 24 countries around the world. the the pave itself has been used in Ethiopia, Kenya, Uganda, Rwanda, uh, Liberia, Sierra Leone, uh, Ghana, Cote d'Ivoire. Um, let's see, in uh, we've used it in a couple of Latin American countries and South American countries. It's it's been uh, Morocco, Jordan uh Lebanon Yemen <laughs> let's see um so i mean it's in a number of different countries uh, that's the ones off the top of my head but and we what we do is when we do go in to do pave training we are focused on customizing what you need to understand for the particular country and for the particular population because we try to respect the the culture and the traditions, and you have to have a grounded understanding of the legal requirements in that country, whether they're effective or ineffective. If there's conflicts under the law that allow loopholes where people slip through and that's what's contributing to the situation, you really need to understand the country and the context within that country to be able to effectively
0: deliver services. So, um, so do you all do your due diligence first? I would, I, I would imagine before you go into Yemen or you understand the culture and the laws and the conflicts and those types of things before you do the training. So how do you understand that aspect? And then, and then how do you do the training and who's, who gets trained? Okay. It, it varies from country to country,
3: and, um, but the one uniform thing is we before we ever set foot in a country, we began doing an analysis and we do our desk reviews and we do research and we study the laws of the country. We study the, the culture of the country. We talk with the program staff that are working there. Um, we we would look at the various aspects of religion and the traditions, and we look at the the type of the economy. What are where's the status of the economy? That is where this particular area. If there's targeted areas within a country, then we study those target areas. We find any kind of research or any reports. Uh, you know, whether it's in rural development or urban development, whatever, wherever the targeted area is, we zero in on any existing research that has been done there to educate us about what the situation is reality. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, we start customizing the tools that we use in PAVE that would be the intake and the assessment tools that are used. We we customize those for the particular program. Um, if there's certain types of funding requirements that uh, the particular program has, like if they have certain objectives that they have to meet and there's certain definitions that our, our restrictions or allowabilities we need to understand what they' what they' what's driving their program and their program services so, because our interest is for twofold we want that program to be successful but we also want the ultimate services that are received by the beneficiary to be, what is in their best interest and what they want and that would be successful for
0: them to put them on a path for the rest of their life for so do they do these programs um, reach out to you and that's how you identify and go into countries does someone invite you in or do you all identify particular programs that you'd like to work generally
3: with? it's by invitation where you are asked to assist a program or to um uh sometimes we're engaged in the initial proposal development and we'll write the the background pieces or it's a program that's been funded and they have they they're sort of struggling with what how they're going to do this and um you know and and unfortunately that's all too often <laughs> they'll get the funding they'll try to do it and then they're 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 not meeting their objectives and then they need help and so we we have gotten called in on projects that are in you know where we should have been at the very beginning, but it's halfway through the project and they're failing, mm-hmm. so we'll be brought in to to rescue mm-hmm. um, the program. Our preference is to come in at the beginning so that the program can be successful from the start, and then. But we have also assisted when there's
0: uh you know other types of help that's needed.
3: Um, and so you
0: will train, I imagine, the people in that program once you customize it. Mm -hmm. Then you train the people that are going to be implementing the program so they can get on the right path. Exactly. Um, So we train our
3: case managers. We train teachers mm -hmm. that they would be working with in schools because for example, I liked your assessment tool that you had that I saw within your curriculum. It's very good, very detailed and very, I mean, well-informed and I thought it was very good. So you would, you would train teachers who are having issues with certain students that are at high risk of dropping out. Mm -hmm. So you would train the teachers on using the tool. Mm -hmm. And then, then you also train the case managers because there's a difference between identifying someone who is a potential beneficiary from the types of information that you need in order to work with them on achieving employment goals Mm -hmm. or achieving education goals. Mm -hmm. There's different types of assessments for different purposes. There's the assessment to identify eligibility, and then there are assessments that we call at intake. And then the assessment is to determine what you can most effectively do using the services that you have funded Mm -hmm. to be able to affect a positive outcome with the beneficiary.
0: Now, Diane, where do you get your funding to, to do this type of work? Where's your organization get your funding?
3: Well, we, we uh, operate with different sources. Um, A lot is um, from foundations and from, um, and then we have, foundations we have individuals who give us support funds to do different projects and activities we have um, we have a large amount is government funding and it although we do not take the money directly from the government because we find it's rather difficult to Criticize a government if you're on the one hand when you're taking money on the other. Uh-huh. So we have a lot of organizations, international NGOs and and country level NGOs and um, INGOs that receive government funding, but then they bring us in to, to train and to do the backup technical support to train their staff. The the ultimate objective for IECL is not to replicate ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's not what we're about. We would rather build the capacity of the organizations and groups, um, you know, in in there to do the work in their own country.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
3: yeah. 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 Because if we, rep- yeah, we replicate ourselves overseas, we're going to be scoffing off about 50 percent of the money. That otherwise could go for the services directly
0: to the beneficiary. So and that's not what we're about. So your organization is the International Institute to End Child Labor. I don't think we international did. initiative. International initiative to end, to end child, child, child labor. labor. Right. right. All right. Yeah. Let me yeah. say it one more time. Your that's organization it. is the International Initiative to End Child Labor. Correct. Yes, that mm-hmm. is awesome. And how many people on your team? Four. So, you really aren't trying to take over the world. You're trying to just empower people to do it themselves. Go in and you provide the technical assistance, customize it to the culture, and empower them to go down the path towards success. I love that idea. Um, How does someone get in touch with you and your organization if they have questions or, you know, perhaps, I mean, we have people that are studying this issue, that are writing papers and classes about it, Mm -hmm. and we don't get an opportunity often to have someone with the years of experience and the breadth of going into over 20 countries and the depth of the work that you've done. So I know there'll be people that want to get in touch with your organization. How do they do that?
3: It's pretty simple, Diane, at inchildlabor.org. That's my email
0: address. Um, I love it. that you guys just do incredible work and just seem so humble and keep, keep it simple. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like the kiss principle, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So, so any advice that you would give to someone that is you know, they're excited, they're compassionate, they want to do this type of work. I mean, going into countries, helping lift up people who are vulnerable, they're really passionate about doing that type of work. What would you suggest that they do to kind of get on this path to do something similar to what you all are doing? Well, I mean, we're all about workforce development, right? It's,
3: uh underst- I mean, the first thing is understanding the understanding yourself right so if you understand yourself and what you drives you what what influences you to make decisions about what you're going to do or want to do in life then understanding the issue if if you want to work in in trafficking then you really need to study and understand the issue and really understand what's causing the issue what are the influencing factors the push the pull what are, you know what is the industry where this is happening and what are the key risk that are inherent in that industry that are both internal to the industry itself, but also external in the community where that industry operates, Mm -hmm. because there's some influencing factors
0: on both sides. Yeah. I love that education and training is one of your key concepts. I like that you all go in as not the experts, but to listen and learn
2: Mm -hmm. and
0: empower the people who are already there respecting the people that are already doing the work and trying to do the work and lifting them up so that they can be more effective. I mean that's awesome.
3: The the most I I the most exciting program, one of the mo- more recent and exciting programs was in Morocco because you had job counselors or case managers who were wanting to know how are we going to do this we have so much to do we only have a certain amount of money how are we going to do this and then being able because they are muslim speak arabic okay i don't speak arabic but uh we we worry work out a situation of simultaneous translation and so we were able to do the training with the field staff and then make it experiential. So they received training, then they went out in the field to um, implement some of the training in their home communities and then came back to the training. And then we would take the information and work with the information that they gathered and then go to the next step. Mm -hmm. And then they would apply that. And we did that with the, the case managers, and we did that with teachers. And then to support them, we did training with the labor inspectors. Right, So the labor inspectors who are going out into the communities, those same communities, so that they could create a more positive approach to implementing their requirements of what they have to do their job, but understanding better the factors that were contributing to it and then how to communicate and talk effectively with the employers.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So it's not a hammer approach, but it's more of a supportive approach and technical assistance approach, but also having that link that when situations are identified, then you have the case managers that you can refer to. So it's a seamless Mm -hmm. uh, service. It's not you identify the victims and then all of a sudden they're taken out of the situation and they're dropped Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
3: and then they're in a worse situation right? So you got to have that seamless link of services so that there's no cracks created in your program delivery. And so you have to take special care to do
0: that. So can you just tell us, uh, you know, the, the one last thing, just tell us what has been just one of the success stories that you remember?
3: Oh, let's see. Well, I, I think Morocco is, uh, one of the the key because they're um one of the uh, uh the program was evaluated as being hugely successful mm-hmm. and the program in um operated by world vision and um air um uh, no excuse me aed academy for educational development unfortunately they're no longer in existence but um It was World Vision, IRC, International Rescue Committee, and um, AED that were in a partnership. And so we went in and trained the World Vision and the um, IRC and the AED staff about this and helped them design their whole case management system. They served over 30,000 beneficiaries in the four countries. They had a significant amount of funding, but they they ran a hugely successful program. That's
0: amazing. I mean, some people, it's difficult to get your head wrapped around some -hmm. of the things that you do. But when you see the benefit of it and you see it trickle down to real work with real people in real communities, Mm -hmm. I mean, that is the way if we are to reach out, you know, as the U.S., If we're to reach out with our skills, um, this is the way we reach out to partner and collaborate and empower, not to take over and dominate and come and tell people what to do. But this is this is an amazing type of work and um, something I would I just get excited about. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, the main
3: thing for me is that the beneficiary themselves learns how to plan for themselves if they have an objective for a job and they and they they've determined based on what their interests are that they want to do a certain job they know how to map their own course mm-hmm. and we teach the parents on how to do that with other children in the family but then when that beneficiary becomes a parent they know those skills for their kids
0: mm-hmm.
3: so that they can start to consider you know this my child here is, doesn't really like to be around other people. They're more introspective and they like to do this kind of work. But this one's very outgoing and gregarious and they really want to, to be with people. You don't put the gregarious person in an accounting job mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you don't put the introspective Child that likes to work with numbers and and w- work individually, probably a job at, as a um, as a um, public relations person. I'm just using that one, but as doing sales and that kind of thing would not ultimately be successful because you you think um, you think about what how many people go into education. And they'll go for years and years and years and spend money on education. And then when they get out of college, that is not at all the job they end up doing. Uh Uh Because we don't even here in the United States really do that kind of exploration to really understand what someone's interests and passions are. Because the thing for myself, every job that I've done is because it's something I love and I have a passion about. So when I work, it's not like work, it's, it's fun for me. Mm-hmm. So it's not, um, it's not a labor. I'm not laboring. I'm
0: enjoying what I do. I'll tell you, this is one of my all-time favorite episodes thus far.
2: Yeah, it was, it was really good. But how, how do you classify it as your all-time favorite? I mean, that's, that's a huge statement. I know,
0: I know. There are several, several reasons. One, again, I think the woman is brilliant just overall. But second, she's very methodical, meaning she has a plan, a strategy, and the strategy is based on years of her work. So she took what she learned and knows and designed the PAVE methodology. So I really like the way she thinks. Third, her group designed the methodology in such a way that it's flexible enough to wrap itself around the culture of the country that she's in. And it can overlay on top of whatever programs going on within the country. And it harmonizes, complements the goals and objectives that that program or that country is trying to achieve.
2: You're right. You know, I I listen to these guests and I think, wow, that's what I want to be doing, you know? Can I come over and work with you guys?
0: I know, me too. As Margaret Mead said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that
2: ever has. Absolutely. And for staff at End child labor, on a mission and about their business.
0: Let's not just do something. Let's do the best thing. If you like this episode of Emancipation Nation, please subscribe And I'll send you the weekly podcast. Until then, the fight continues.